I have a very, very small circle of friends because I don't follow those rules of Mm -hmm. I'm only going to network and be with you until I get what I need from you. It's not how I, it's not how I work. And I don't want my girls to work that way. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to be about who do you know and what names can you drop and how can you get yourself to that higher point? Because what is that doing for you in your heart? Yeah. Uh, and it's hard to live that way in a world that is in the competition mode. Yes. It's hard to find those genuine people who really you can trust and develop with and evolve with it's and very, very be honest with. Yeah. Because people have ulterior motives and people judge you before they know you. Mm-hmm. And I think for my girls, for my son as well. I want them to be able to say, this is who I am. I'm going to speak my voice for who I am. Mm -hmm. If you are not happy with who I am, then you do not need to be here with me. Mm -hmm. I am not the person that everybody needs. But the people that know me and that have taken the time to know me, the real me at the core of who I am as a human being, Mm know that I am a loyal person, mm-hmm. know that they can trust me, and that's all that know matters, that I will be there. I am Nejwa Zabian. Welcome to Stories of the Soul, the podcast. Each one of us has a story. I believe that the most powerful story you can tell is your own story. In this podcast, I bring you the stories of people you meet every day. Everyone around you has a story beyond what you see, a story that is soul deep. Just as you can learn from someone's story, there are lessons to be learned from your own. Just like someone rose after their fall, so can you. And just as someone is owning their healing as they've owned their pain, so can you. There is always a story beneath the surface. There is always a story of the soul. Let's walk this journey together as we tell the stories of our souls. The theme of the first season is forgiveness. I hope you're all well. Welcome to episode 5 of Stories of the Soul. In this episode, you will listen to my interview with Sarah. I met Sarah when I was still pursuing my career as a teacher in high schools. We met while working on an initiative to include students from minority backgrounds, specifically students of Indigenous backgrounds. I remember being very inspired by her commitment to the educational community. Rewind a few years before I met her. When I was a substitute teacher, by the way, many of you guys don't know this about me, I was a teacher for seven years and I taught grades, every single grade you can imagine, from kindergarten all the way up to grade 12. And I absolutely loved being a teacher. I love being a teacher currently with you guys. I just see it as a bigger classroom within the world. 
So I started off as a substitute teacher. And for those of you who don't know what a substitute teacher is, you basically go into classrooms to cover for teachers because they are absent for some reason. Either they're sick or they have some kind of other educational commitment. So go back a few years before I met Sarah, when I was substitute teaching, I covered for her husband, who I could tell was so passionate about making a difference for students just from the way that students who came looking for him reacted to not seeing him there. It was like I was an alien. Like, why are you here and where is he? It's like there was this fear inside of them that they lost him somehow. Sarah and her husband have a beautiful family. They have triplets who are an absolute delight. This whole family is a true definition of what it is to be a good human being. Very selfless, very humble. You can tell how great Sarah and her husband are as teachers just by looking at how they've raised their own children, just by looking at the level of healthy communication, respect, and understanding that takes place when you witness any interaction between them. They are an inspiration to me, and I don't say it lightly. I wanted to get Sarah's input on forgiveness in the classroom. For some reason, those are not two things that we immediately tie together. Forgiveness and education. For many teachers, classrooms are just about classroom management and covering content according to the curriculum. That was one of the things that bothered me personally when I was teaching in schools. I came across many teachers who didn't genuinely care about their students, but cared about enforcing the rules and being in control. I remember when I was becoming a teacher, I heard this kind of advice a lot. Don't show them that you care. If you do, they'll walk all over you. And while that may have been true in some cases, it's the truth in all of life together, not just in the classroom. There are some people out there who, once they pick up on the fact that you're empathetic or have a good heart, they will try to take advantage of that. But does that mean that you change that about yourself or start defining it or accepting it as a weakness? Absolutely not. Empathy is beautiful. Having a good heart is beautiful. And you have to protect those things, not by changing them, but by learning how to draw healthy boundaries and learning how to use these qualities in an effective way. You don't change who you are based on how people treat you. That just means that you're allowing the world to change you into someone you're actually not. Many new teachers fall into the trap of wanting to seem quote-unquote tough in order to control the learning environment so it doesn't go out of hand, so they don't lose control. What these teachers fail to see, and what, sadly, very few exceptional teachers know, is that the key is to not make it about you. The key is to not take student behavior personally. Students are humans, just like us but they are at a different stage in their lives where some things might actually seem more important than school or education. Sometimes they are struggling to fit in, struggling to come to school wearing the wrong thing, or they just don't see the point in what they're learning. There are so many reasons that students feel disengaged and there is no way to solve that other than addressing the issue instead of focusing on the fact they are not quote-unquote, behaving or following the rules. I remember always being shocked when a student who gave me a hard time for a long time would say, thank you, 
at the end of the day, or sometimes at the end of the year, for being patient and showing them that I care and that there is a way to be better. When I was a substitute teacher, there were many teachers who would leave me notes saying things like, if this student gives you a hard time, send him or her to the office. And I remember consciously making the choice not to. I remember telling myself that I'm a new person in this student's life and that maybe I will be that difference for him or her. I remember always telling myself that I am the adult in the room and that my job is not to fix students or maintain control of my classroom. My job is not just to be a babysitter. My job is to ensure that my students feel safe mentally, emotionally, and physically. My job is to ensure that my students are treated as humans, not that they achieve a certain mark, but that they actually learn. And so many have this twisted nowadays. Education is not about marks. Let me say that right. Real education is not about marks. Education in today's terms has become all about numbers and statistics. Yes, we are trying to change it, but change is not truly happening because it's still numbers that dictate everything. I want you to reflect on when you were a student, if you're not currently one. What was it that mattered to your teachers, to your parents, to you, to your friends? What was it that mattered in terms of you getting into certain programs or other courses? Was it not marks? But tell me, what actually made a difference for you? Was it those marks? Was it the numbers? Was it the courses? Was it the degrees? What was it that made a difference for you in education in your life? For me, it was a few teachers who saw me as a human, who saw my potential. I remember grade 12, Mr. Andrews. It was my first year in Canada, fully living here. And I remember not seeing a value in myself whatsoever and not even knowing that I didn't see a value in myself because at that age, you don't know that there is something wrong. You feel it. You don't know how to verbalize it. I always felt like an invisible person. I didn't know where my place was or that I even had a place. And one day, we got a phone call to the house from the school saying, Nejwa should attend this ceremony. And I was like, why would I go there? And I didn't. And the next day, I came to school and I was paged to the office and they said, why didn't you come last night? And I said, I didn't think I had to. And then they gave me a certificate that Mr. Andrews, my grade 12 English teacher, gave me. And it said that I won the award for outstanding commitment to the learning environment. And I just remember for the first time in a long time feeling actually seen. Like the way I've described it before, it was like someone had an invisible cloak over me, kind of like in Harry Potter. And then all of a sudden it was removed and I was seen somehow. And I remember asking Mr. Andrews, like, why did you give me this? And he said, because you're always helping everyone around you and you don't even wait for that to be seen about you. You like helping others. I will never forget Mr. Andrews. Never. He made such a huge difference in my life. It wasn't the mark. I don't even remember what I got in that course. 
But our educational systems thrive on numbers and on marks. And that's why I'm saying we say that we want to change things in education, but are they actually changing? Not the way they should be. Not at the pace that they need to be. I wrote this page in Mind Platter called Educate Me. This is what education means to me. It's page 117. Educate me, not by making me memorize facts, but by teaching me how to read between the lines, how to critically think, how to deeply understand. Educate me by respecting me. Educate me by treating me as a human. Educate me by showing me that you make mistakes just like I do. Educate me by showing me that I am not perfect and neither are you. As long as I can teach myself to get back up, it's okay if I fall down. Educate me by telling me where to look but not what to see. Educate me by respecting yourself so that I may respect you, so that I may respect myself. Educate me by seeing the best in me, because while you might not know it, you may be my only hope. Educate me by believing in me. Make me believe that no question is ever stupid and no dream is ever too big. Educate me by making me love to learn. Educate me by taking away the fear of tests marks, and standardization. Where I start and where I end are not as important as the journey I had to take from one to the other. Educate me by making me more dependent on myself and less dependent on you. Educate me by making me want to learn on my own. Educate me by making education about me, about making me a lifelong learner, by making me able to teach myself Educate me by making me think of the world, not just words and pictures in a textbook. Educate me by empowering me, by making me truly believe that I can make a difference in the world, because while I am unique, I am not living alone. Educate me by telling me that the sky is my limit. Put me at the intersection and equip me with the skills, not only the knowledge, to choose which path to take. I wish every teacher would put this up in their classroom. I honestly think it would make such a difference for their view and for their kids, which is the most important difference we need to make. So if we were to truly make education about our students, we need to make sure that we teach them skills that they need for life, not just to get a certain mark. Students always have issues with one another and even with themselves in such a tight-knit community, problems are bound to happen. Conflict resolution in the classroom is often more about getting rid of the problem in the moment than being about truly resolving it in a way that is actually dealt with so that it feels resolved for the students themselves, so that it teaches them something. Imagine this with me. Imagine if we made forgiveness part of our classrooms, part of what we taught our students to do. Imagine if we practiced forgiveness with ourselves and with our students regularly. I remember many times, and if any of my past students are listening to this, they will remember. There were days when I walked into my classroom and told my students, Today, Ms. Zabian is not doing that well emotionally. I'm going to do my best to be the best teacher that I can be today. But I would appreciate it if we could all focus on the work that I will give you today. 
and that you do your best to keep peace in the classroom without me having to remind you. Some teachers listening to this might think it would be a nightmare to do this, but trust me. There is not one time I've said something to this effect to my students in any classroom that made my students take advantage of that. You know why? It's because I didn't leave it to that day to show my students that I am human. They can sense that I'm genuine because I've been talking to them like humans who are also living their own lives as well. Now this is in high school and I understand that it would need to take a different form with younger grades. But the important thing is to be proactive, not reactive. Being proactive means that you prepare for something before it happens. Kind of like prevention versus cure in medicine. Keeping a healthy lifestyle with good health habits long term versus only trying to deal with disease when it comes. I know that this is a general way of thinking that we always hear, but let's take it to a more practical example. I have difficulty sleeping. I'm currently recording this episode past midnight. <laughs> For a short period of time, I depended on sleeping pills to sleep every single night. After stopping all of my medications at once, I decided to lead a healthier lifestyle where I'm mindful of what I put in my body and what I do to sleep better, eat better, live better, just have a better life. So in order to combat my sleep deprivation, I cut down my caffeine intake, I started walking more, I lessened my screen time, I would not eat past a certain hour, etc. All of that was to make sure that I didn't get to a point where I depended on sleeping pills again, which had several side effects. For me, it was waking up feeling like I just wanted to sleep more. It made my anxiety worse. It made my mood worse. So I needed to focus on being proactive to make sure that I wouldn't have difficulty sleeping instead of getting back to a point where I can't sleep and then take drastic measures. It's the same thing in the classroom. When you implement practices from day one with your students, it lessens the probability of a very bad incident happening. For example, on the first day of school and every day after that, I would greet my students with a smile as they walked in. Except for my last year of teaching, I was literally in survival mode that year, and it really impacted my ability to be a good teacher. I will tell you about this story in a future episode. I used to stand and greet them with a smile at the door. I would make sure on the first day to speak about the number one rule in the classroom. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Respect. Respect from me to them, from them to me, and from them to each other. Any breach of that needed to be addressed and was addressed and taken seriously. Not in a way that was about breaking the rules, but in a way that was about ensuring that they are respecting each other as humans. If our focus as educators is to make sure that our students learn how to follow the rules, then they will get out into the world and make sure to live in a way that just doesn't break the rules. That's no way to live. Our focus with education should be to teach our students the skills that will help them be resilient in their lives. Our job is to teach them 
how to differentiate between what's right and what's wrong, what's ethical and what's not. Our job is not to teach them to follow the rules. We are not here to teach robots. We are here to teach humans. You will see in my interview with Sarah the importance of forgiveness in the classroom. This is why it was so important for me to bring this story to you because whether you're a teacher or a parent or a student or a person who used to be a student or a person who's going to be a teacher one day, whatever role you hold in society, the role of educators is so important and we need to bring forgiveness into the classroom, not just as I'm sorry, not just as a simple thing that you force your students to say or do. It's about the action. And when you listen to Sarah's experience, you will fully get the point I'm trying to make and see the kind of difference it makes in the classroom. I want you to see how Sarah defines forgiveness in the classroom, how she goes about it. Here's a hint. She never asks her students to say, I'm sorry, and you will see why. Another part of this interview that was so, I mean, I got goosebumps when she was talking about this, and I can't wait for you to hear it. But the concept of having your water poisoned, the water in your body poisoned, Sarah opens up about an experience with her daughter when she opened up and said to her mom, I really think that the water in my body has been poisoned. Now, I'm not going to give too many details because th- you need to hear this. You need to experience the same kind of reaction I experienced when I heard it. That will be during probably the final part of the interview. I am so excited for you to listen to this interview. Um, it is going to open up your mind in ways you didn't imagine. And I look forward to hearing your feedback. Here is Sarah's story. So tell me about a story that you've experienced with forgiveness. Forgiveness is an interesting topic. Mm. And I really think that it's something that people everywhere have to experience at some point in their life. Yes. When you first asked me to come and speak with you, I was finding it hard to, to put to mind a story that I felt really comfortable sharing because forgiveness and situations that we have to forgive in are so deeply personal. Mm -hmm. And those stories sometimes are not ones that you necessarily want out there in the public sphere. Yes, for sure. But one in particular that I think people can relate to is something that happened to me in the professional environment when I was early in my teaching career. I started teaching as a second career. My Mm -hmm. first career was as an occupational therapist with children. And after I had my own children, I realized that that career wasn't going to be a great fit for our family life and I needed to make a change. And so I changed careers and went into teaching. Mm -hmm. And starting as an older person in a new profession, I had a life experience that was different than some of the other new teachers that were in my building and also had experiences and skills that were different. Mm -hmm. So I approached teaching differently. I still looked to my colleagues for advice and for support because they knew more about the pedagogy of teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had different ways of dealing with students. Mm -hmm. In this one particular situation, 
caused a lot of difficulty one year for me. Um, I had a student in my classroom that was a challenging student, one that most teachers wouldn't have wanted to teach. Mm -hmm. And he had been in the school for a few years and had had several other teachers who had struggled with him. Mm -hmm. And my colleagues initially warned me about him and about how to approach him and about how to approach his family. And I didn't like the way that they were so negative about this, really at the time, very young little boy, mm-hmm. an eight-year-old, very judgmental and very negative. Yeah. And at that point, I mean, they're not really developed. A lot of their skills and a lot of their yeah. The things that they're going through are not really within their own control. So mm-hmm. judging a child as being maliciously intentional with behavior at that stage is, in my opinion, unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, my approach to him and my approach to his family was different than what my colleagues thought should happen. With my background in occupational therapy, I didn't look at him as being the problem. I looked at the environment in the classroom. And I looked at the tasks that I was asking him to do. And I looked at what I could do to make him more successful, not what he needed to change to be more successful. And I built a relationship with his family. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and and his family responded. It took a while to build that trust, uh, but it worked out for him we were able to have some very critical conversations about challenges that they were also having at home that mirrored what we were seeing in the classroom. And I was able to help them to find supports in the community. I was able to help them build relationships in the community to find the guidance that they needed to support their child in their environment Mm -hmm. so that I could continue to support him in the environment that I interacted with him in. And my colleague didn't like that that's how Mm -hmm. I was approaching things Uh, and took this step to actually interfere in that process and asked that parent to come and meet with her. Keep in mind, she was no longer this child's teacher, Mm -hmm. but she met with this family and talked to them about how I was inexperienced and how I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, And that, you know, what I was suggesting and what I was helping them with might not be in the best interest of their child. How did that feel? Really terrible. Yeah. Really terrible. Because she had never had a conversation with me about what I was doing in my classroom. She had never asked me what was going on and and what my thinking was behind what I was doing for this student. Mm -hmm. Uh, She made judgments based on what her thought process was without really understanding my thought process. Mm -hmm. And while ultimately we were both trying to find the best for this student, we had very different ways of thinking about the process. Mm -hmm. Neither one was necessarily better than the other. They were just different. But it created a problem that didn't need to exist. It created questioning and doubt in a family that I had built a rapport with, that I had built trust with, community members that I had built relationships with to help support this family. 
And I don't know the motivation behind why she felt like she needed to stick her nose into what was going on in my room. Um, we never really got to the bottom of that in our discussions about mm-hmm. the process. But I think when we don't understand somebody else, if we don't seek to understand, then we make judgment. Yeah. And we jump to decisions and we jump to conclusions based on our our knowledge at that time. Mm-hmm. And we did discuss because I did have to confront her when I found out that this had happened. I did have to say, look, I don't understand. Like, yes, I'm new to teaching and yes, I may and have your years of experience in the classroom, but I have experiences that can help me to support this student and this family to get what they need. And uh, we never got to a spot where we agreed on the best path forward. We got to a spot where we could agree to disagree so that I could move forward with what I needed to do with the family Mm -hmm. and that I could continue to support that family to have access to things in the community and to help them get supports in the school to make sure the documentation was done Um, as in education, everything has to be documented, right? So if we want to have supports for students in the school, there has to be assessments done and there has to be paperwork and there's boxes that need to be checked and things that need to be completed. And really the end goal was to do the best for this child. So that was accomplished in the way that I felt was best at the time with the work that I had built with the family. Mm -hmm. It made it difficult though for myself in interactions with that colleague going forward. It was a challenge because there were other colleagues who were then pushed and pulled between where were they going to sort of align themselves in their thinking? Were they going to stand behind her against me or were they going to stand with me against her and it created this really awful tension that made that year very difficult Mm -hmm. for me and um you know I needed to get to a point where I could remind myself that it wasn't really about me and her behavior was about her Mm -hmm. And that I needed to focus my attention on what my student needed at that time. How long did it take you to get to that point? It took a while. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It (laughs) took a while. It's hard when someone uh, questions or judges you without understanding first. And without talking to you first. And without seeking to know you as a human being before making those decisions about who you are. Um, She had never taken the time to get to know me. Mm -hmm. She had never taken the time to get to know what my background was prior to coming into teaching and obviously made a lot of assumptions about me as a new teacher and Mm -hmm. what my life experience might have had to offer Mm -hmm. the students in my classroom. What do you think made her think those things about you? Or make those assumptions about you or made her give herself the right to speak to you the way that she did or to you know interfere in your own business 
I think that she had had experience with that family. She had a prior relationship because she had had other children in that family that she had taught. So she knew the parents. She knew the child. She had had many, many years of teaching experience. And in her experience, the way that things should be handled should be this way. Yeah. And anything beyond this way was mm-hmm. wrong. People have those thoughts. Yeah. People get stuck in their practice. Mm-hmm. I think that that's something that happens often, mm-hmm. more often than we'd like to admit, I yes. believe. In lots of scenarios, in lots of environments, people get into their routine. They get into their daily work and maybe I'm just comfortable and I know I can do it this way. And I don't need to think so much anymore if Mm -hmm. I do it this way. Mm -hmm. And it just becomes easier. Yes. Rather than challenging yourself to think critically about what you're doing Mm -hmm. or to make changes to how you practice your your craft Mm -hmm. um, to be better. Yeah. To challenge yourself to meet those needs in a a way that make different than what you have thought of before. Mm -hmm. I was doing something different. Mm -hmm. And I was doing something that had not really been seen in this context. And changing the way my classroom was set up for one kid and the other 20 needed to go along with it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, having meetings with family and making sure I was calling them on a regular basis and keeping them updated and, and being available to them outside of school hours. And those kinds of things were maybe not the way things had happened in the past Mm -hmm. and so I created a precedent yeah people have a hard time with change right so maybe that was it yeah you were changing I was changing things I was changing you being a teacher it you know and a beginner teacher at the time that experience had such a big impact probably on you and probably on how your career took its trajectory what have you learned about forgiveness from that point until now? How long have you been teaching? I have been teaching about 10 years now. 10 years. Yeah. So what have you learned about forgiveness with colleagues, forgiveness with students, forgiveness in general through your role as a teacher in your journey? I think that the forgiveness with colleagues piece is trying to move and think from an open stance Mm -hmm. that I want to understand where you are in your practice and I want to have a dialogue with you about what that looks like uh, and understand that we might do things very differently and that doesn't mean that one is better than the other. You can walk down any hallway in any school and you can go into any classroom And you can have teachers teaching multiplication, and I guarantee you they'll all be doing it differently. Yeah, exactly. And it it doesn't mean that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. It just means that everybody has their way of going about the process. Mm -hmm. And I know that I may not be the one that's always going to reach every student. I know that I am not the be-all and the end-all in the classroom. And that connecting with other colleagues and building those relationships is really important. It is hard when you have someone who thinks differently. 
but being open to understanding their point of view and their perspective and having dialogue and being open to that dialogue. I don't have to change your mind. You don't have to change yeah. my mind, but we can still work together even if we don't see the same perspective. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately our goal at the end of the day is to serve those students that are in front of us. And so that's where I come from when I do the work that I do. And I love, absolutely love collaborating with other teachers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is not a smooth process because we have to work through those bumps of understanding each other yeah. and of the different perspective of how practice should look mm -hmm. or what works for us in the classroom because mm -hmm. it's not going to be the same. You and I could try to teach the same lesson and we would do it very differently based mm -hmm. on our life experiences. Um, so that piece with colleagues, I think, building a place to work from with understanding mm -hmm. and having had the experience of being judged and of being judged without that understanding was a great example of what I don't want to do to other people. And so I work very hard to seek to understand first before embarking on other things with people. Mm -hmm. And once you understand where they're coming from, then you're able to deal with the situation well and you can have a conversation you can say okay that's great that you see things from this perspective have you considered this perspective or I wonder if we tried it this way or I've tried it like this and I've seen success or I've done it this way and it has totally not worked what how have you made it work mm -hmm. so you can have those conversations but if I don't understand your thinking and I don't understand what your uh, what your process looks like, but I'm judging you, then we can't work together no. because there's always that barrier of judgment in mm -hmm. the way. Mm -hmm. So being being open mm -hmm. and working from a place of understanding and the first focus is always on the students. Are always on the students. the students. Well, that's why we're there. Yes, especially uh -huh. in education, yeah. we have to do that, and it's you have to set your own personal ego to the side because. Yes. It's not about me. No. <laughs> it's not about what I'm going to do. It's not about, about what the end result is for me because I've graduated, right? I've been through my system. I've done my work. I'm still taking courses and I'm still educating myself, but I don't need to be the one that's successful in that context. I need to be creating a context where my students that are in that classroom at this moment are successful. Hmm. It's not for me. Mm -hmm. And when I think about those students, I think about, you know, some kids have a bad day. They've had a tough go at home before they get to school or they're tired or they're excited about something or they're anxious because something's going on after school or, you know, they've got a big, big performance coming up or whatever it is. We have to seek to understand our students also. Yes. And so building those relationships and that trust with students is something that I always put first. Mm -hmm. So at the start of the school year, people think I'm a little bit out there because <laughs> I don't really get into teaching a lot of curriculum for the first probably three weeks of the year because we have to build a community so that we can come together. Mm -hmm. And I have to be able to understand where my students are coming from. Yes. Kids are going to have a bad day, important. right? You're going to have a bad day. We all have bad days, but we have to know that you can come and have a fresh start. Mm -hmm. And if you need that time, 
you're going to be able to come back. Mm -hmm. And for, you know, working with students in that way, it's, again, it's not about me, right? And I can't take their reactions to things personally. Yes. But I need to be responsive to how they're reacting. Mm -hmm. So if a child is having a bad day or a child has, um, you know, what someone would deem a negative behavior, I also need to be reflecting on how have I contributed to that? What have what have I maybe put in place that hasn't supported that student? Mm -hmm. Because it's not it's not all on them. No. So how do you forgive a student, for example, for let's just say not getting an assignment done or saying something to you that's inappropriate or you know disrespecting you? How do you forgive a student? Or how do you teach a student to forgive through an experience like that? Well, for me, with the young students that I teach, because they're elementary age students, you have to keep in the back of your mind that they're still children, mm -hmm. right? They're not always in control of their behavior. So you can't hold it against them. Mm -hmm. You also have to not take it personally, um, which is hard. Yes. It's super hard, especially in the moment. It's hard to, to set that aside. And there's lots of times where I have really taken it personally. But, you know, stepping back later that evening or reflecting later after mm -hmm. the event is over um, to realize that it's not really about me. It's about, about those. It's about the kids. Yeah. It's about what they are going through to, to build that understanding. But always to be welcoming back into the room, into the space, into the community. And that's easier for me to do as an adult, but I have to model that for the rest of my students. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when you have an explosive student in the classroom or a child that's created a situation that's very negative in the classroom, it impacts other kids, right? And we want those other kids to learn how to forgive. We want those other kids to learn how to accept and how to acknowledge and how to understand other people's perspectives and experiences. And we can't do that if we don't model that from, yeah. from our point of view. Mm -hmm. And so it has to be done and I have to do that. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it is hard yeah. to find the space and the place to do that. Because it must be difficult also to forgive and always be open to the student coming back but also holding them accountable and teaching them responsibility right yeah it's a it's a tough balance yeah. and there's a fine line in that piece and it makes a very very big difference when you have good support system in the mm -hmm. school so when you've got a good learning support teacher when you've got a good learn administration team that is really there to work through that with you so if there's been something major happen Obviously, I don't want that child back in my classroom five minutes later. We need some time to process the rest of us in the room. And that child needs some time to process before we can come back to debrief and to move forward together. So, you know, a quick turnaround isn't productive. Um, but leaving it too long also isn't productive either because mm -hmm. we want to be able to deal with those situations and have those conversations Yes. Um, to make sure that everyone comes back together. For sure. So when it is something towards myself or in, in a larger uh, classroom setting, I always like to have those open conversations about how we can learn from each other. But when it's between two students where something has happened, I like to do a moderated conversation. Tell so. I will sit with the two students or the three students or however, the small group, whatever it looks like. And we will have a conversation together mm -hmm. about how that has made 
everybody feel and where people are coming from so that there can be that understanding and there can be that process of, uh, of developing those communication skills. And at that age, especially the children that I teach, um, they don't necessarily have the ability because neurologically they haven't developed there yet to reason through those things. So they do need that adult assistance to process through those steps of understanding. And so I can help them do that. I can help them have those conversations. And maybe we get to a point where we agree to disagree. Mm -hmm. Maybe we get to a point where we say we're sorry and we make a plan for how not to do that again. Mm -hmm. Maybe we get to a point where we know we need space and we're just going to come back to the conversation at another time. Mm-hmm. But it's making sure we come back to that conversation at a better time. Yes. So that there can be that understanding, there can be that empathy, there can be that agreement of mm-hmm. how we're going to behave together. Yes. We're not always going to like the people we have to work with. No. And we're not always <laughs> going to respect the people that we That's have true. to work with. Yeah. But we have to be kind mm-hmm. and we have to do the best we can to create a situation in our classrooms, in our workspaces, where we can seek to understand, where we can know what we are and what we need and honor those things, Mm -hmm. and then try our best to honor those things for other people. Yes. And that is what I want to teach my children in my classroom. Mm-hmm. My, my students become my children. Of course. <laughs> um, I have three of my own children, so I want my own children to learn those things too. But when I create that community in my classroom, they become my extended family. Mm-hmm. And I always think of how I want my three children, what would I want them to hear if this was happening to them? Mm-hmm. And that is what I put out there in my own classroom because I want, I want to do for my students, Mm -hmm. what I would do for my own three children. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's sort of how I guide myself. Mm -hmm. And I work in that way, in a very open way. Mm -hmm. That's very process through. (laughs) Many teachers don't think this way. Like I remember when I used to teach, I used to get criticized by many for, for example, being empathetic with students and always thinking there must be a reason the student is acting out. They must have gone through something. They're not acting out because they want to or because they want to give me a hard time, even though it might seem like that on the surface. I think the key is, like you said, is not to take it personally and to think of what led this student to come to the classroom with this kind of behavior. And I know you teach elementary. I was with secondary mostly with high school students. And, you know, they both have different issues. But I think a uniform, a universal theme cross for all students and humans is that we do the best that we can in every moment, I think, from our own perception. This is the best I can do. So sometimes a student's feelings of lack of self-worth will translate into them misbehaving because... They just, they, they don't see their own value. So they're trying to get attention in other ways or they're trying to, it's kind of like they've given up. You know? Or they won't put effort into an yeah. assignment because they don't think they yeah. can do it. Yeah. Or they have those ideas about themselves. And exactly. 
It's a matter of understanding where that's so coming from. So it would be from. easy to say, here, you're taking a zero gap of my class and I never did that. And I used to get criticized for doing things like this. And just listening to you speak, it reassures me that I was doing the right thing. Because for me, it was never about me against the students. It was, we are working together to make sure that education is actually about them and about nurturing them as human beings and not just as numbers, not just as students. And I, like you, I don't have my own children, but I would think how would I want my nieces and nephews to be taught? And so a lot of the things that I applied in the classroom, I also applied at home with them. And I know that you do that with your children so amazingly. So I, I was wondering if you would share some some insights with us and some practical ways because I know there are many parents who are listening um, and teachers uh, just what do you do with your own children to teach them about forgiveness and are there any experiences that you want to share with us we have lots of open discussions in our household about things and experiences that we have when we're not together. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't spend every day all day with my kids and as much as I would love to, mm-hmm. that's not reality of the world. Um, my children have each had their own experiences dealing with difficult situations and situations where they've had to move through challenging interactions with peers. Um, and we have conversations about what that looks like, about how that made them feel, about how they would want to be treated differently and what that would look like, Mm -hmm. whether they feel like they could have a conversation with that person who has been rude or mean or challenging or has wronged them in some way um, and what that conversation might look like. We can role play those conversations. So I've done that several times with my girls. So I have two girls and a boy. And in in one situation in particular, uh, one of my daughters was having a challenging time with one of her good friends Mm -hmm. and was being excluded uh, from the group. And I said, well, how does that make you feel? And and she said, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling really great. They're kind of excluding me from what's going on. And it's making me really angry and it's making me really sad. And and, and she wasn't sure how she was going to work through that. And I said, well, you can be mean and angry back to them, but is that really going to solve the problem? And she said, no, it's not going to solve the problem. It's just going to create more problems. And I said, so, so how can we move forward with this? What do you think you're going to do about it? Do you want to try to talk to them about it? And she said, yeah, I think I could do that. And so we sort of worked to develop a script uh, so that she could practice in her in her own way what she needed to say and and so she developed that that script with together we worked through how she was going to approach her friend to say you know what it really hurts my feelings when you're making plans with other girls and you're talking about it in front of me but you're not including me and she said you know I don't have to come to the things that you're doing but I'd really appreciate it if you didn't talk about it with me there which I thought was a really mature way yeah, of approaching that situation, mature. right? Like, yeah. you know, I get that you have other situations where I'm not going to be included, yeah. but just please don't talk about it when I'm yeah. here because it hurts my feelings. Yeah. And um, I love that you teach them that because I feel that so many people would say, no, don't let them see that you're struggling with this or that this hurts you because well, it's weakness. I think that if we are going to change the way our communities work and the way our society works, 
we have to change the way we interact with each other. Yes. And I find, especially with women, I don't see it so much with men, actually, um, but with women, it's like this competition. Mm -hmm. It's like this, I have to be better than you, and I'm going to find a way to be better than you at being a woman in the world. How sad is that? And I see it with young girls. I see it in lots of different scenarios. And I don't like it because it's not about me being better than you. Mm -hmm. It's about me doing what I need to do for me mm -hmm. and you doing what you need to do for you. And we need to, and we need to support each other <laughs> yeah, exactly. with that process. Yeah. And so if I don't teach my girls how to set boundaries and how to communicate those limits to other people, then I'm doing them a disservice. Yes. And I'm teaching them that they aren't of value. Mm -hmm. And that's wrong mm -hmm. because they are of value. Yes. And honestly, if I had been raised in that way and if I had felt that way in myself at their age of 14, my life would have been a lot different. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have that sense. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that understanding that I could speak for myself and that I could wow. share what I wanted to share. So it must be so enlightening for you to see your children now at that age being able to see themselves that way. Yes. Right? And for them to be able to express it. And um, what, what do you think changed? Why are we in a time when, first of all, this competition that you're referring to and also the sense of empowerment at a younger age, what do you think it is? I don't necessarily think that anything has changed to create this level of competition. I think that um, there are just more people who have greater ambitions that see getting themselves places as the be all and end all uh, rather than supporting each other and surrounding, and surrounding yeah, yeah yeah it's almost um on I don't know on the surface it's so shallow mm -hmm. right like it's not a meaningful connection it's a who can I connect with in order to climb higher not what can we do to support each other and help each other? Um, I have a very, very small circle of friends because I don't follow those rules of mm -hmm. I'm only going to network and be with you until I get what I need from you. It's not how mm -hmm. I it's not how I work. And I don't want my girls to work that way. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to be about who do you know and what names can you drop and how can you get yourself to that higher point yeah, because what is that doing for you in your heart yeah uh and it's hard to live that way in a world that is in the competition mode yes it's hard to find those genuine people who really you can trust and develop with and evolve with it's and very, very be honest with yeah because people have ulterior motives and people judge you before they know you. Mm -hmm. And I think for my girls, for my son as well, I want them to be able to say, this is who I am. I'm going to speak my voice for who I am. Mm -hmm. If you are not happy with who I am, then you do not need to be here with me. Mm -hmm. I am not the person that everybody needs. 
And that, that you're not everybody's cup of tea, and that is more than fine. And that you is you don't have to be everybody. Absolutely, cup of tea. but the right? people, but the people that know me, and that have taken the time to know me, the real me at the core of who I am as a human being, mm-hmm. know that I am a loyal person. Mm-hmm. Know that they can trust me. And that's all that matters. Know that I will be there. Those people know that. Absolutely. You You don't need people in your life who are going to, as you said, judge you before they even know you. Why do you think people judge us before they know us? Because I've experienced it a lot, especially recently. I think that there are lots of, there are lots and lots and lots of hurt people in the world that feel like they need to hurt people. Mm. And in order to make themselves feel better, they have to make other people feel worse. Oh, and I, <laughs> I really hate that. And I know hate is a very strong word, but but I've experienced it where people want to make themselves feel better about themselves by making someone else feel worse about themselves. Absolutely. Like, why would you do that? Make yourself feel better about yourself by doing something for yourself, you know, or by doing something kind or good for, for someone, someone else. else. Exactly. So that you can lift yourself up by knowing that you've done something good for the world. Yeah. And it's, it's a tough place. And I think our world is a tough place and there's a balance and there's a lot of young people speaking out and pushing back. And I look at some of the voices that are out there right now. Um, you can do some searches. I'm not even going to bring up names, but you can do some searches. There are some powerful, powerful youth voices out there that are really speaking to how we need to change the way we believe, the way we interact with each other, the way we believe in each other to create a better community, to create a better mm-hmm. world for, for the future to live in. Mm-hmm. And I want to be contributing to that with my children. Mm -hmm. I want my children to be out there in the world putting good energy forward Mm -hmm. and contributing to causes, to being of service to others Mm -hmm. and to feeling good about themselves that at the end of the day, they've been true to themselves, that they've done what they feel is necessary in their heart and that they've put their love and their energy and their respect for the world out there so that they can know that they have honored and respected themselves at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I ask for my personal children. And so that's what I expect for my students. That's what I expect for myself is really at the end of the day, if I can say that I have done my absolute best from my heart, with my full integrity, my moral values and my beliefs that I am doing the best I can for whoever it is that I'm interacting with in that day, then I can go to bed and I can sleep at night. Yeah. Because I know that I have not harmed somebody. Mm-hmm. And I know that we can unintentionally do, offend, hurt, hurt. Yeah. And those are situations when you know that that has happened or when you become aware that you apologize, that you make right the wrong, mm-hmm. that you do ask for forgiveness because it's something that we need to be able to do. Mm-hmm. So how do you define forgiveness? I think it's such a complicated thing to it define. Is. It and is. That's why that wasn't my first question because... I think that, that forgiveness depends on the situation. Mm. It really does because 
when I think about when I when I've had to get to a place where I can forgive um, a situation or an occurrence or a, a person in my life, it's always for myself. It's always when I've processed it through and I know that my emotional well-being is ready to move forward, mm. that I can say that I am moving forward out of a place of love, not out of a place of hurt, mm. that I know I've reached forgiveness. Yeah. Um, so how, but how do you come from a place of love for someone who's caused you so much pain? How? It takes time. Mm -hmm. And, and is it, it takes, necessary to come from takes, a place of love for them? No. Or more for ourselves? No. Not necessarily out of a place of love for them. I don't believe that that's necessary in mm -hmm. order to forgive. But you have to come out of a place of love for yourself. Yes. So that you can move forward to mm -hmm. do what you need for your own, your own personal Absolutely. self. Um, I think that you have to understand and maybe not completely understand, but you have to get to a place where you have a sense of the perspective of the situation. Mm -hmm. um, where the person was coming from. Yeah. 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 Uh, in, in situations that I have, I've had many in my life where I can think of people I've had to um, forgive. Sometimes forgiveness for me, means that I am distancing myself from that person because it is healthier for me to no longer engage with that individual. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I am dialoguing and saying, I forgive you for what you have done. It's that I do not need to put energy into a relationship, into an interaction that I know is not going to create a positive outcome for either one of us. Yes. And so this is now done and, and I am moving and that, that is situation. forgiveness in that situation. Yeah. And when I know, and when I have had situations where those people are still going to be in my life because we've had situations, I've lived through situations where I've needed to forgive family members. Those people aren't going away. Mm -hmm. Right? You, yeah, you, so how do you deal with that? You, you have to come to a place where you try to understand the situation as best as you can and know that there needs to be a place that you can put that hurt or that you can put that situation in a context. And then the relationship almost needs to be restructured mm. and started again. Yes. So that that peace becomes part of an old relationship and you rebuild a rebuild. new relationship. But both people have to want to rebuild. Right? Absolutely. Because I get contacted all the time by people saying, well, what do you do when the pain is from your family? And that's always, it's one of the hardest questions I get because I never want to tell someone to stay in a toxic situation. But I always want to say something like what you just said, which is you need to rebuild. However, both parties have to want that. And if yes. not, then if it's healthier for you to leave that situation, cut these ties, you have to do that as difficult as it is. Yes. And a lot of times we don't remember 
how much power we actually have to do that. We think we can't live without family members. We think, and it's hard to imagine that, right? Well, it's even setting, setting the limits within the relationship with those family members. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's a context where you can't completely cut the ties, but you can set boundaries around what that new relationship is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And you can create those situations where maybe it's only, you know, at that one holiday a year that you see that that person and it's not somebody that you reach out to or you interact with in a way that is meaningful and connected, Mm -hmm. but that you have a way to engage with them that still maintains the connection to the rest of the family that are important to you. Yeah. Because in some situations, you don't want to cut everybody. There's maybe that one or two people just because they're, right? You need to find a way to create those. But that all comes from you. And you emotionally prepare yourself for it, right? Absolutely. Ahead of time. Absolutely. See, I'm going to this place where there's going to be a person who I know has hurt me a lot. I'm going there not for them, but I'm going because I want to meet up with the rest. And I'm going to try my best to not allow this person to get to me in any way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and processing through those emotions and seeking out support to do that if necessary, you know, seeking counseling or seeking advice from, from, you know, your religious affiliations or whatever it may be that you need to build that support in place, but it comes from you, right? Yes. Because it's your power. Mm -hmm. It's your decision as to how those people have access to who you are. And ultimately you have to be in charge of what that looks like. Yes. And And not just fall victim to saying, well, this is how they're going about things. So I'm going to respond in this way. You have to take ownership. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, You shared with me something earlier that I, I, that really hit me because I never thought about it that way. The word, I'm sorry. The word, I'm sorry. The word, but you know, the, the phrase, the phrase, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It gets said a lot, and I don't think people oftentimes they mean it. Mm. And I know that in in when I work with students, so you were saying, how do you have students work through these things? I never ask a student to say they're sorry. Mm. I don't ask them to say those words. I ask them to talk about what it is that they have done, what was the behavior that they did that created the situation. And I ask them to talk about how they're going to do things differently the next time. Mm-hmm. Um, because those are empty words unless you act upon them. Yes. So it doesn't matter that you say, I'm sorry. I think a lot of people struggle with this and they say, he, he said to me, I'm sorry, or she said to me, I'm sorry, but that's not enough. No. You know, it doesn't mean anything. Yes, they apologize, but it doesn't mean anything. But did the behavior, but did the behavior change? That's the thing. But did the interaction change? Did the words just come? And I think that our children are taught to say their story, but they don't understand what they're saying I'm sorry for. Mm -hmm. And I saw it in my own kids as they were in their early years in school and, you know, um, their triplets. So they would, you know, go to school and spend all day together and then they'd be fighting at home. and, (laughs) And, you know, one would 
smack the other and we would say, what is going on? And then the immediate response is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm like, why are you saying you're sorry? What did you do? What is it that you are sorry for? And, you know, they would look at us with these blank stares like, I don't know. I don't know what I did to say I'm sorry. Mm. I have to say I'm sorry for stuff at school. And I don't know. I don't know what it's all about. And it was like a light bulb, right, for us as parents, a light bulb for me. At that point, I wasn't a teacher at, at yet. Um, but do we really understand why we're apologizing? You can't apologize if you don't know what you've done wrong. Exactly. And so that's why I said why I said earlier, like, we can inadvertently hurt people and we can inadvertently offend. And, and once we understand how and why, then we need to make amends. We need to... We need to apologize and we need to show that our behavior will change. Yes. So how do you apologize? Well, you have to understand what has happened. Mm-hmm. You have to understand what you've and done wrong. The and then you have to change the behavior. Yes. And sometimes that means going to that person and saying, I don't understand. Please help me understand. Yeah. And sometimes those people will have those conversations with you. And sometimes those people really don't want to have anything to do with talking Mm -hmm. to you about what you've done. But it's a humbling process to say, please help me to understand. Don't tell me I've made you angry and tell me I need to apologize. Tell me what I did. I don't know what I've done wrong. Yeah, exactly. So specifically, what is it that I have done? Mm -hmm. I will happily rectify anything that I have done because I'm going to guarantee you that I haven't done it out of a malicious intent. Yes. Because that's not who I am as a human being. Yes. So if I have inadvertently done something that has offended you in any way, please tell me because I want to rectify that situation. Mm-hmm. But we can't honestly and truly move forward in a forgiveness manner in either way if we don't understand how each other feels about the situation. I agree. But then yes. we have the power to decide whether we were the one on the hurting end or on the hurt end, Mm -hmm. what that looks like to move forward. Yes. And sometimes that means, okay, I'm done with you. Mm -hmm. My boundaries are set and I cannot embark on this emotional context with you anymore. And sometimes that means, okay, our relationship in that context is finished. We're now rebuilding it over here with a new context. And some things I think there, there is no forgiving. So before, before we talk about um, your daughter's experience, which I really touched me, um, if there are any teenagers listening to this, yes. youngsters or parents of teenagers, but you're addressing teenagers who are struggling with forgiveness, what would you tell them, both as a teacher and as a parent of teenagers? What would you say? I would say that they need to take time to get to know who they are Mm -hmm. and what they value for themselves. Because until they understand who they are and what they're about, they can't set those limits to understand where there needs to be those boundaries Mm -hmm. with other people. Um, And it's when we don't have boundaries that we get into situations where we can be hurt because we have expectations or we don't have expectations and then we're sort of blindsided by things that happen to us. Yes. And so I think that really having that connection to who they are 
and a connection to somebody to be able to speak with, mm-hmm. to know, adult. Uh, definitely yeah. a caring adult, a parent, a teacher, a, a friend for that matter, but mm-hmm. somebody that can offer some guidance or some insight into the world. Um, so, you know, a tween or a teen talking to another teen might not be as effective as, as having an older person to Someone be able to have through all of these experiences and might have yeah. some perspective mm-hmm. on the process yes. for sure. You were telling me that your daughter went through an experience recently and, and that's what I want to really want. Yeah. So, um, just to sort of frame the context, one of my girls has had a tough go with girls in her school. Um, there's been a couple of very unkind girls who target her, mm-hmm. shall we say, try to make her look silly in phys ed class, um, you know, will knock things off her desk, will make comments about her, um, just are generally unkind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not something that has only just started. It's been going on for years And it's created uh, a lot of turmoil in herself because she knows who she is as a person and she knows she's a kind person. She's not necessarily an easy person to live with all the time. She has her little quirks and nuances, (laughs) as we all do. Um, And and it's created some additional doubt in her, in herself, you know. Why are people so mean to me sometimes? And how come sometimes they're really kind? And what are their motives if they're being kind? Because normally they're not kind. And she has these questions. And she's let their voices into her mind. And she's let their voices occupy her. And recently we spent some time um, with some Indigenous community members at a gathering uh, we volunteered to help support the gathering and listened and learned from elders and knowledge holders. And the stories that we were hearing were all about the importance of water and the importance of connection and the importance of, of community. And uh, we heard from uh, one speaker about how our body is you know, 80% water and how if we aren't respecting water and we aren't respecting ourselves, that that it can be contaminated. And it triggered a memory for me of a of a study that I had read by a Japanese scientist who looked at water, and I can't even remember his name right now, but he looked at water and he looked at saying loving things to water mm-hmm. and he looked at saying mean things to water and he looked at just ignoring water and he had this test done in classrooms. And one classroom said loving things to this bottle of water every day for five days. And one class said mean things. And one class Mm -hmm. just ignored the water. And then they froze the water and they looked at the crystals. And the ones that had been loved and cared for and positive words, the crystals were beautiful and complex. And the ones that were ignored just looked like typical water molecules, crystals formed. And the ones that had been, been spoken badly to, the crystals were misformed and the water is affected by how we behave. And so Kayana had made this connection and we talked about it after and they talked about this this research and we talked about it more together. And she made this connection to how she had let these girls poison her water and how her water and her body had been poisoned by their words Mm -hmm. and how it had impacted how she was thinking about herself and how she needed to change that thought. And she needed to hear 
positive, loving words more than we, than we normally do so that she can change the way the water in her body is feeling. Mm-hmm. And so she was asking us as her parents to tell her more uh-huh. how much we love her, <laughs> to tell her more how much she means to us so that we can help change the water, the water in her, her body. body. That's, I got so goosebumps that, when you were initially telling me that story. It's just... Yeah, wow. and for her to have made that connection from this from this event that we were at to her own personal experience and to be able to articulate those words to us was so powerful. And for her to be able to say, you know, I don't have to be with those girls moving forward. She's going to a different high school. She's not going to have to interact yeah. with them. For her to be able to say to us, I can move forward if I can get their words out of my water mm. was amazing. She's 14, right? And, yeah. and, and sometimes our kids say these things to us and we're like, where is this coming yeah. from? <laughs> um, but it was one of those moments as a parent that I'm just like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, you are processing what we're putting in front of you. You are processing these positive messages. You are integrating that into who you are as a human being. And you're realizing that you can set those boundaries that you can say enough, I'm not gonna let you poison my water anymore, that my water is sacred water Mm -hmm. and I need to love this water Mm -hmm. and I need to love who I am Mm -hmm. so that I can move forward with my life and not have to deal with what you have put on me. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, her coming to that step to be able to talk to us and to be able to say, Mommy, Daddy, I need you to tell me more right now that you love me. I need you to tell me what it is that I do really well. I need you to give me those positive affirmations is forgiveness for her. Yes. That's her form of self-forgiveness, right? Absolutely. And for her to move past that situation, for her to be able to say, this compartment is now closed and I'm not going to, I'm not going to take this anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving this behind and I'm going to move forward to create a more positive space for myself. Yeah. Wow. Before I sleep tonight, I'm going to think of, I'm just going to think of all that I've been surrounding myself with that really is poisoning my own water and how I need to like that form of forgiveness when you, when you said earlier, Sometimes forgiveness is saying, you need to be out of my life. I can't interact with you. I have to build a healthy boundary around myself. That's how you protect yourself. And then you also, another another um, layer to that is just what your daughter did with you is come and say, tell me how much I mean to you. Make like Not make me feel valued, but tell me Tell me those words so that the water within me can, you know, be replenished or changed or so that my my spirit can be full so that so so it comes back to building that community of people around you that you can trust that are going to support you and hold you up that are going to be there for you whether you're happy whether you're sad whether you know in those situations because I think that competitive world, that more, faster, bigger society that we have created is not what we need to build a better future for our children. 
and to create spaces where I can pick up the phone and call and say, hey, I'm having a really bad day. I need you just to listen to me right now. So many people are afraid of doing that now, especially youngsters. I feel like, you know, they're more likely to just scroll through social media and feel excluded just by seeing a picture of a group of people who are gathering without them or feel excluded by seeing that someone liked someone else's picture and didn't like theirs or we're so engulfed in this world that doesn't really exist yeah and we create our world around it and we've dissociated from our own world and the reality actual connection yeah. versus virtual connection yeah. this is not connecting to people no. this is not it, having we have the opportunity to connect to it but that's i don't think that's what most of us are using it for nowadays especially youngsters no it could be just a starter to you know to to introduce you to a young speaker who is for example Um, you know, working on, on empowering the youth. It could just introduce you to them, and that's amazing. But this virtual world, as you, you said, virtual versus actual world, this virtual world is not the world that we need to live in. It should be just a, you know, a, what is it, like a, like a tunnel to get us somewhere. But that's yes. it. You're going through it quickly, and it's done. Yeah. Not a place where you live all the time, Right. Well, it's not the real world. No. And a lot it's of it's so... It's the real world for many. Yeah, it is. And that's the sad part, right? Yeah. And so that's what I'm hoping to model how to connect and how to set those limits and how to really be meaningful and genuine and to move from a place of integrity mm-hmm. in the world for my children. Yes. And I want that for my students. Mm-hmm. For them to know that they are of value, mm-hmm. that they are loved, that they are honored. Uh, and that they should expect that mm-hmm. from people that they interact with. Yes. Final words about forgiveness <laughs> to anyone listening. What would you say? Forgiveness is such a personal piece and you have to come to it in your own terms. Mm-hmm. And understanding where you need to be and what that looks like for you. You can't have someone tell you what that's going to be. No. Um, it's not an easy road. Mm-mm. And when it's a tough situation, it's a tough place to get to forgive. Yes. But until you can get to a place where you can set that aside, you're always going to feel stuck. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. If you would like to hear more of my poems, please download my audiobooks. You can listen to me read aloud to you. I'm Nejwa Zabian, and you've been listening to Stories of the Soul. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can follow me at Nejwa Zabian on Instagram. If this episode resonated with you and you want to begin to reconstruct yourself, head to Soul Academy, my own digital school to help you let go, move on, and transform your life. Your demolition might not be in your hands, but your reconstruction is. I know you're ready to begin this process. Take the first step and head over to www.nejwasabian.com forward slash soul academy. Join me next week for another story of the soul. Thank you for listening.